bow in prayer and confession of our sins. Most merciful, holy, and triune God, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. Have mercy upon us, for we are sinners who have come into your house to find respite and peace from this world of chaos and lies. We are tempted at times to live according to the world's standard, which woos us to be drawn back to our former life of rebellion and rejection of you. But as we draw near unto you, we're reminded of your goodness to us and your holiness. We're reminded of our God who has redeemed us out of the darkness into the marvelous light. And so, Lord, we flee to you for refuge, seeking and pleading for forgiveness and deliverance for the times we've not followed you this week. We confess our self-centeredness, that we considered ourselves to be of higher importance than of you. We confess our hypocrisy that says one thing and does another. We confess our bitterness of heart that leads us to despise others instead of selflessly loving them. We confess the envy that's in our eye that rejects the good things given to us in favor of what you've given to others. And we confess the anger that's crossed our lips with hasty words not fit for a holy people. Lord, in your mercy, forgive us, cleanse us, and turn our hearts to you in Selah. Lord, hear our prayer and let joy and gladness be restored to us. For you, O Lord, have brought to us salvation in Jesus, who humbly submitted himself to you, even going to the cross for our sins. In Christ Jesus, therefore, we receive the entire forgiveness for our sins and find our acceptance before you as we draw near to you now. You've shown grace to sinners and mercy to those who do not deserve it. We praise you and thank you. Through Jesus we pray. Amen. God's word to us this morning begins in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7. Verses 24 through 27. <clears throat> Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts upon them may be compared to a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and burst against that house. And yet it did not fall for it had been founded upon the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act upon them will be like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came, and the winds blew and the burst against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. We'll turn now to First Chronicles chapter 28, beginning in verse 9. <clears throat> As for you, my son Solomon, know the God, of, the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and willing mind. For Yahweh searches all hearts and understands every intent of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will let you find him. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. Consider now, for Yahweh has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be courageous and act. Then David gave to his son Solomon the plan of the porch of the temple its buildings, its storehouses, its upper rooms, its inner rooms, and the room for mercy seat, and the plan of all that had in mind for the courts in the house of Yahweh, and for all the surrounding rooms, for the storehouses of the house of God, and for the storehouses of the dedicated things, also for the divisions of the priests and the Levites, and for all the work of the service of the house of Yahweh, and for all the utensils of service in the house of Yahweh. For all the golden utensils, the weight of gold for all utensils, for every kind of service. For the silver utensils, the weight of silver for all utensils, for every kind of service. And the weight of gold for the golden lampstands and their golden lamps, with the weight of each lampstand and its lamps. And the weight of the silver for the silver lampstands, with the weight of each lampstand and its lamps, according to the use of each lampstand. And the gold by weight for the tables of showbread, for each table, and silver for the silver tables and the forks, the basins, and the pitchers of pure gold, and for the golden bowls with the weight for each bowl, and for the silver bowls with the weight for each bowl, and for the altar of incense refined uh, gold by weight, and gold for the model of the chariot, 
even the cherubim that Let's bow in prayer. Father, now we ascend through the firmament heavens. We pass through the glassy sea, the crystal sea, and we come into the heavens above the sea, your sanctuary. We recognize that the tabernacle in the Old Testament and the temple in the Old Testament are pictures of biblical cosmology and you invite us to come right into your presence. Israel was restricted, but we are invited. And so now we come to hear from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, your word. Feed us on it, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Just as I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. For you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to the, give to their fathers. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the Torah, which Moses, my servant, commanded, commanded you. Do not turn from, do not turn to the right or to the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the Torah shall not depart from your mouth but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it that you, excuse me, all that is written in it for then you will make your way prosperous and then you shall have success have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. For Yahweh, your God, is with you wherever you go. Joshua chapter 1. Just as Moses spoke these words to Joshua in Deuteronomy 31, Yahweh speaks them to Joshua and Joshua chapter 1, preparing him for conquest of the land. That's quite an interesting marching order, isn't it? You would think, well, you would talk about fighting. But no. God says, you're going to be prosperous. You're going to be successful if you put my word in your mouth and eat it down and meditate on it and do it. <clears throat> it is sometimes said that a church that goes that a church goes through three stages when it falls into spiritual decline. First, people aren't sure what God's word says. Second, people don't know what God's word says, and finally, people don't care what God's word says. How is it in your congregation? Will your children and grandchildren be in a church that honors God's word and does it? Well, I'd have to say, Obviously, the church is very, very broad across the United States. But we uh, have fallen into the category across the church where we don't know what God's word says and we're quickly approaching that we don't care what God's word says. So right and left churches are abandoning what 
clearly is stated in Scripture, and opting for a more secular culture, and compromising God's word so that they can soothe themselves in living the way they want to live. I just heard of another church where uh, <laughs> the tradition it comes from, it would just blow your mind that this could possibly even happen. But now each Sunday, a woman is given the uh, 15 minutes before the Lord's Supper to prepare the hearts of the people to eat the supper. Now, that's not to say something against women. I mean, within our congregation, there are women that can run circles around lots of you men when it comes to theology and knowing the Bible. But of course, we're catering to the culture and ignoring what God's word says. So now Solomon is being brought to kingship for the very purpose to build a house for the name of Yahweh. And the very thing that we have read in Joshua chapter 1 are the same words that are stated to Solomon in chapter 23 and in chapter 28 and in chapter 29. Be strong, be courageous, don't fear, don't be dismayed. Your God is with you. These are the same words Solomon's hears. Be careful to do the Torah. Yahweh give you discretion and insight in his word so that you might be prosperous. What does his word have to do with building a building? Well, of course, in most cases, it doesn't have anything to do with building a building. David does present him with a blueprint for building the temple. We just read it. Hyde just read it to us. So Solomon has that. But what God is saying is, if you want to be successful in this project, if you want to prosper in this project, then what you need to do, Solomon, is read my word and know it. Then you'll be successful. Well, we come to this section that uh, is chapters 23 through 27, and I'm guessing most of you have not done your devotions in those chapters lately, because like chapters 1 through 9, it is principally filled with names, genealogies, who comes from whom. Of course, it is for a purpose, and it is part of the blueprint of the temple. It is how the temple is going to be used, served. And it talks about mostly about Levites. And when you think about chapters 23, 24, 25, 26, and 27, you can, you can put ahead at each beginning of each chapter. So 23 is about Levites. 24 is mostly about priests. 25 are about musicians. Music. Music is is, uh, as I said, there's a book written, From Silence to Song, the liturgical Davidic revolution. In other words, there wasn't singing at the tabernacle before. This is what David installed. We have Levites, we have priests, we have musicians. Musicians are at the peak. And then we have gatekeepers. And then finally, over here, we have the civil administrators. So you have fivefold, if you look at it that way. And if, if you look at it that way, right in the center are musicians. Music shapes a culture. Music shapes the Christian culture. Oh, I am so disappointed that we're meeting at 9 o'clock. Because now when I drive in and I turn on my radio, I don't get to hear the great hymns that the First Baptist Church sings. What I get to hear is 15 minutes, 20 minutes, of KCBI modern... Oh, um, some of you young people probably like the music. I hate it! 
and it's shaping our culture. Well, that's what music does. It shapes a culture. And of course, music is very important because we remember what's put to music. You know, you can still think of jingles. You don't see on television anymore, but you, you remember them. You know, the 7-Eleven. Oh, thank heaven for 7-Eleven. Any of you ever sing that one as you got your Slurpee? Well, so we come to these chapters, and I told Grace yesterday, I said, well, you know, I'm going to do one lesson, because this is just a bunch of names, and then we'll move on. And uh, at 1 o'clock this morning, I decided, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to do a lesson on the Levites for a particular reason. We're not going to do a lesson on the priests, and you'll see why. And we're going to do a lesson on church music, music. Then we're going to do a lesson on gatekeepers, guarding God's holiness. And then finally, because you have Levites, you have priests, you have musicians, you have gatekeepers, and then you come over here, you have the civil government. Then we're going to do a lesson on the church and civil government. And then, ah, after that, we should have one more lesson left in 1 Chronicles, and we'll move on to 2 Chronicles. If you would then turn your Bibles open to 1 Chronicles chapter 23. Now, when David reached old age, he made his son Solomon king over Israel. Now, old age, what is it? How old was David when he made Solomon king? That's old age. Gordon is three years above old age. Larry's, oh, he's way above it. Old age is 70. When it comes to women, old age is 60. How do you know that? Well, because in Timothy, you can't be put on the rolls unless you're of 60 years old if you're a woman. But here, old age, this is just for you to smile at. Solomon is made king. And notice what it says. Verse 2. And he gathered together all the leaders of Israel with the priests and the Levites. So this is what this section is about. We're not going to talk about the leaders of Israel until we get to chapter 27. In chapters 23, 24, 25, 26, we're going to be talking mostly about the Levites. The priests are going to come into it, but the priests come in because the, the Levites are helping the priests. Because this is where David's revolution took place among the Levites. He did order uh, 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 divisions among the priests. But we'll see that the importance are the Levites. And then notice what it says in verse 3. And the Levites were numbered from 30 years old and upward, and their number by census of men was 38,000. Of these, 24,000 were to oversee the work of the house of Yahweh. Now, that doesn't mean oversee building it. It means they're going to be working, overseeing the work that takes place, the service that takes place at the house of Yahweh. And 6,000 were officers and judges Officers and judges pops up uh, at the end, I think, of chapter uh, 24. But officers and judges really have to do with the Levites uh, moving out from the tabernacle, the temple, and going out among the people and uh, doing cases of judgment according to the law. And 4,000 were gatekeepers and 4,000 were praising Yahweh 
with the instruments which David made for giving praise. And David divided them in divisions. And that's what we're going to go on. That's what it goes on to talk about, the divisions. So I just want you to notice, this is about Levites. Levites. They're going to serve in the house of Yahweh. They're judges in the land. They're gatekeepers, which means all the gates that lead into the temple that's going to be built, they're going to be guards there. The word keeper, it means a guard. And not only that, they are armed guards. If you pass through a place you're not supposed to be, you will be killed instantaneously. Why? Because you can't encroach on God's holy space unless God invites you in. So, brothers and sisters, we have confidence to enter the holy place by a new and a living way. Do we appreciate that confidence? We got boldness. You couldn't do that in the Old Testament. So, gatekeepers, and then musicians. We have not come to realize in this congregation just how great and important music is. If we're left to ourselves, we will just pick up the hymn book and we'll pick songs that we like to sing. That's not what happened at the temple. As far as I can tell, that's not what happened in the New Testament, although a lot of people think that's what happened. No. Certain Christian songs are appropriate for church, and most Christian songs are not appropriate for church. That doesn't mean they're bad. I'm not saying that. I'm saying when you come to meet with God and you come to his house, remember, this temple that's being built is a copy, a shadow. We come to the real house, and when you get invited by God, you know, uh, we're going to have guests to our house today, and, you know, I, I might ask Alexa to play some music. I probably won't invite my guests to choose the songs. Because, you know, I want to get down and be wild, so that's a joke. When you go to God's house, God's got everything in order what to do. When we come on Sundays, and we enter into the presence of the Lord, God's got things in order and what to do. And music is so important. Of course we're choosing the songs. I don't mean he's sent us a list to use. But there has to be a strategy, a purpose, a reason behind what we're doing. It's not just, hey, let's sing a song I really like. So, then you look, down the, you look down through chapter 23, and you know, it's, just, it's all these names, and you know half of them you can't pronounce. And then you come down to verse, uh, let's see, verse 12. The sons of Kohath were four. Amram, uh, Ishar, Hebron, and Uziel. The sons of Amram were Aaron and Moses. And Aaron was set apart to sanctify. I'm going to change. The New American translation is surprisingly not correct here. To sanctify along with his sons forever the most holy things. To burn incense. That's an improper translation also. The word incense is not there, and the word burn is not there. But what it does mean is to transform offerings into smoke. That's what it means. They're going to transform offerings into smoke before Yahweh to minister to Him and to bless His name 
forever. So we're going down this whole list of Levites and how we're dividing them up. And then we come to Amram. He's got two sons and one is Aaron and one is Moses. And these are two key figures and Aaron's key because Aaron is set apart. And God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was formless and void. And he begins to do his work on his creation. And what does he do? He separates the down waters from the above waters, and what he sticks right in between them is the firmament heavens, where you see the sun and the moon and the stars, and then there are waters up there that you and I can't see, and you go through those waters, and you're into the heavens of heavens. Do we think that way? That's how we're supposed to think when we look at the Bible, so that when you come to Revelation, and it says, he made all things new. He's going to create a new heavens and a new earth, and there'll be no more sea. You're thinking, wait a minute. You mean it's just going to be land on the earth after Jesus comes back? And the answer is no, there's going to be a sea. But that sea up there is not going to be anymore because it divides God from us, and boom, it's going to come down, and the new Jerusalem is going to come down to the earth, and here we'll be. You have to understand biblical cosmology. You have to understand Genesis 1 or you'll never see that. Because you look around and you say, well, the only sea I know of is a sea out there in the Atlantic and the Pacific. You mean that's going to be taken away? No, not so. So, Aaron is divided apart from the rest of the people. And Aaron and his sons are going to do the sanctified work with the most holy stuff. And all that stuff resides in this curtain that surrounds the tabernacle and a wall that surrounds the temple. And once you walk in, you're standing on God's holy ground. And when you walk in on God's holy ground, what do you do? First thing you do is you take your shoes off because your shoes are carrying dust on them. And that dust is cursed dust. And so you can't have that dust in God's holy ground. God's there, the ground is holy, so you take it off. And they're, they're going to work in there. That's what they're going to do. And, and you just see. So we have the, the Levites, and then we segment out of the Levites, Aaron and his sons, for this work that, they, that they're going to do. And yet the Levites are charged in helping them. So now just look down to down towards the bottom of the chapter, verse 24. So all these all these Levites are being uh, uh, are being counted. They're being a census is being taken and and they're going to be doing their work according to this census. These were the sons of Levi according to their father's households, even the heads of the fathers' households, of those of them who were counted in the number of the names by their census, doing the work for the service of the house of Yahweh from 20 years old and upward. Now hang on to that, because just above it said 30 years old and up. And here's an explanation. Verse 25. For David said, Yahweh, God of Israel, has given rest to his people, and he dwells in Jerusalem forever. So David's gained rest through God for all this land that belongs to Israel. And now God sets his name in the city of Jerusalem, and it's going to be in this temple that Solomon is building for him. And then notice what it goes on to say. And also the Levites will no longer need to carry the tabernacle and all its utensils for its service. In other words, okay, you get a permanent structure, and uh, you had Levites divided into three groups that would tear this down. When the, shadow, when the, when, when the glory cloud moved, all of a sudden they got to they tear down this whole tabernacle system and they got to cover up 
each of the tables and the candelabra and the Ark of the Covenant, and they use two, three coverings, and all those coverings mean something. It's really quite interesting once you get into the details and you discover that God's holiness is being protected, and these Levites are doing it, and then they start trucking out with all this stuff, and when the glory cloud comes to a stop, they stop and they set it all up again. It's a tent. It's a tabernacle. But now God has a permanent structure. So what they've been doing, they're not going to be doing it anymore. Their service is changing, and it's broadening. It's expanding. And so what David does is they had been numbered from 30 years old and up, but now they're going to need more of them, so they're going to number from 20 years old and up. Notice verse 27. For by the last words of David, for by the last words of David, the sons of Levi were numbered from 20 years old and upward. There it is. Here's what they're numbered for. For, the, for their office is to assist the sons of of Aaron with the service of the house of Yahweh in the courts and in the chambers. This temple's got a bigger courtyard with a lot more stuff in it. And this temple is a three-story temple on its sides and it's got chambers in which certain things are done and in these chambers the Levites are going to work. And, and in the purifying of all holy things. So now they're brought into the process of cleansing holy things. Maybe that means that they're putting some of the stuff into the wash bowls to cleanse them. Maybe it means that they're looking at people who come to make sure they're clean from their uncleanness like leprosy. So they're going to be expanded doing these things. And then it goes on to say, even the work of the service of the house of God. They have a great role. And <clears throat> with the showbread and the fine flour, the word is not fine flour, there are not two words there, it's semolina, that's the word. And with the showbread and the semolina for not a grain offering, that word's not there, it's a tribute, for the tribute. And unleavened wafers, or what is baked in the pan, or what is well mixed, and all measures, and volume, and size. And they are to stand every morning to thank and to praise Yahweh, and likewise at evening. So this is where the music comes in. When the burnt offering is offered in the morning and the burnt offering is offered in the evening, I should say the ascension, there is no word burnt offering, it's the word ascend, ascension. When those are offered, these singers, these Levites who sing and play instruments are going to play while the burning of the ascension takes place. And they will keep doing this until all the smoke ascends. Uh, and to offer all burnt offerings. Now, now, this just shows the music goes with it, even uh, for the bringing near of all the ascensions to Yahweh on uh, the Sabbaths, the new moons, and the fixed festivals in the, in the number set by the ordinance concerning them continually before Yahweh, thus they are to keep charge of the tent of meeting, it's not been taken down yet, and the charge of the holy place, the one that's being built, and the charge of the sons of Aaron and of their relatives for the service of the house of Yahweh. Now, you can make no sense of that. It would make no sense if, first of all, you didn't have 
as all the Israelites did, a picture of what the tabernacle looked like, even though you realize they could only go into the doorway of the courtyard. They couldn't go into the courtyard. They couldn't go into the holy place, and they couldn't go into the holiest of holies. It's God's house, but they weren't allowed in. And they couldn't see behind that first blue curtain, which is a way of talking about entering into the expanse, the firmament, the heavens firmament where the sun, moon, and stars are. They couldn't go in there. And then there's a curtain behind that they couldn't even see that had on it cherubim because they're protecting the way into, well, you got to go through another sea above into where God's throne is. That's what this is all about. We're going to build now a solid structure and the same sorts of service is going to take place, but it's going to be vastly bigger, vastly broader. It's going to encompass all of the land of Israel, meaning everybody will come here on certain occasions. And it's a place for all the lands outside of Israel, so it's going to have a name all around the world. And so it did, and people came from a long ways to see both the king and to come and take a look at this temple because it was magnificent. And here are these Levites with this expanded service. What does it have to do with us? Well, many people would say absolutely nothing. In other words, all this is fulfilled in Christ. Here you got the old, you got Christ, and now you got the new over here. And so everything, well, is vastly different. There's a problem with that way of thinking. 1 Corinthians talks about the church as a temple. We read it last week. Ephesians talks about the church as a temple. Colossians talks about Jesus as if he's the holy room and the holiest of holies in whom all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found. What are the treasures of wisdom and knowledge? They are what you can't see in the tabernacle or the temple. You go into that first room, and there's bread on the right-hand side as you enter. And in the middle, there's an altar of incense, and over here's a candle abra. What do you have? You have life, Wisdom and glory, the treasures every man seeks for. Everybody wants glory, everybody wants knowledge, and everybody wants life. And then you go beyond that and you go into the Holy of Holies. And there they are again in a different form. You have Aaron's rod that budded with white hair. And you have the table of the commandments in the Ark of the Covenant. And then you have the jar of manna. What? Food, life, commandments, wisdom, glory, hair, glory. All those treasures are hidden in Christ. Christ is spoken of as a temple. You go into 1 Timothy chapter 3, and we talk about the house of God. What is that? Well, that's what's been used in what we've been reading, the service for the house of God. It's a temple. The church is a temple. You go into 2 Timothy, and again, you see a picture of a temple. In a large house, there are both gold and silver vessels, and those made of wood and earthenware, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable use. What are we talking about? We're talking about a house, a temple. You go to 1 Peter chapter 2. Again, what do you have? Christ, the living stone, and we're living stones being built upon him. And people say, well, no, 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 no. That's all different. Take your Bibles and turn, if you would. I'm looking for it. 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Their translations differ here uh, on its opening quite a bit. 
but it, it, it all comes out about to be the same. So the New American Standard says, what is the outcome then? Some translations say, what then? Other translations say, how is it? What is the outcome then, brethren? When you assemble, each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. Now, what is that all about? Some people would say, well, see, what happens is the church is supposed to be free with an open meeting. Clearly, that's what the Corinthians were doing, something like that. Is that what the day of the Lord is supposed to be, the Lord's day? Well, some people say yes, some people say no. But more importantly, what people say is, okay, what this meeting is, is a spirit-led meeting, which means nothing is planned in the meeting. Instead, people just are moved by the spirit and they do in the meeting. I think one would find that an impossible uh, statement to defend in the end. But I, I just show you this. I'm not, I'm not here to quibble about that. I don't want to quibble about it. I just want to say, look, in the tabernacle, in the temple, things were done organized in fashion and certain people were assigned to certain things and it seems to me that when the Bible says, well, the church is a temple, we bring all this imagery forward, and it's true that it's all fulfilled in Christ, but there's some application that has to be made to the church, and that's what I want to spend the rest of the time doing. I want to, again, speak about something that some of you are tired of, some of you people have not yet realized it, comprehended it. Some of you are still questioning it, but I, I want to speak to it one more time. So if you just look at all the masses of churches that are out there, churches have all different kinds of meetings on Sunday. If you went back to Israel, when they gathered, they didn't have all different kinds of meetings. It was organized. It was similar every Sunday. Well, most churches have a similar meeting every Sunday. It's just uh, the church down there does it different than we do, and the church up there does it different than we do, and the church, you know, out the other way, they do it different, and everybody's different. But there are five essentials. Depending on how you do things, I mean, no matter how you do things, there are five essentials to meeting together. The first thing we have to recognize, this is not the essential, the first thing we have to recognize is that when we come on the Lord's day, we come to meet with the Lord. And it's often said, you shouldn't come to get, but you should come to give. I take umbrage with that. God is the giver God. We are the recipients. We return praise to him, but we come to get because we need what he has. What? Glory, wisdom, and food, life. We come to get it from him. That's what we're here for. We want to grow. So we have to remember, when we come on Sunday, whether it's at that church or that church, any church, whether they recognize it or not, we come to, by the invitation of Yahweh to meet with him. And It's a sad thing that one would turn down the invitation of Yahweh. You know, if you invite me to your house and I say, well, no, I can't come now. And then you invite me again and you say, no, I can't come now. And you invite me and it just keeps going on. Pretty soon you're going to say, you know, I'm done with that person. That's kind of how Yahweh is. Yahweh is the great one. And when you get invited... You go. So the first thing we need to remember that when we come together, we come to meet with Yahweh. The sec now, here are the essentials. The first essential is you've got to be invited. You have to be invited. 
That's what Hebrews 10 tells us. Brothers and sisters, we have confidence to enter the holy place. We have boldness by a new and a living way. Come on in. Let us draw near. We're invited. And so every Sunday when we come, we're going into the Lord's house. And it, it, that's what it says. I didn't say it. It's obviously something that's a, a bit of a mystery. We ascend in spirit. We can't see it. We're the temple meeting here, and we ascend to meet with the Lord. That's what we do. And we're called to worship. That's why we do a call of worship. Come on in. God wants to meet with you. The second thing we do is we have a confession of sin. Because uh, <laughs> we're having guests to our house today, and they're going to discover, you know, that we live in a kind of a... Oh, in, in some maps, it's called suburban splendor. But it's really nasty. It's a dirt, messy road. Most of you know that. And so when you come in, you know, and you park your car and you come to my house, your feet are going to be a little dirty. Got to wipe your feet off. When we come to God's house, we're a little bit dirty. We have to confess our sin. You see, because you can't step into his territory dirty. You have to step in clean. And we fixed that up because we used to wait all the way till the elements were passed to say, let's confess our sin. We would spend time listening and, and, and hearing from God and singing to him. And, and, and we've been dirty. Well, when you understand what these Levites were helping in, they're helping in all these burnings where offerings are transformed into smoke. And there's always one that comes first. And it is the purification offering where one's sins, or in the case of a congregation, or in the case of a nation, a nation's sin is confessed and forgiven. That's the first thing. So, we're called to worship. And we come to God's house, and it's time just to get the feet wiped off. Like Jesus said, he washed their feet. Your whole body is clean. You only need your feet washed. You've been walking around, you've been dirty. We've been walking around all week, and we've gotten dirty as a congregation. And we come and confess. That's the second thing. The third thing, then, is now, at this point, we're ready to walk into God's house. It's an ascension. We move in. And that was the second offering in Israel, the ascension. And the ascension is uh, one that means just that, you ascend. Of course, in the tabernacle in the temple, it's, it's an offering whereby you come and you lay your hand on the offering to make identification. This animal is taking my place. And when you're done laying your hand on it, you take, you, you take the knife, not the priest, and you slit the throat. You kill the animal. And the blood is applied to the altar for atonement, a covering. And then the animal is cut up into parts. And the insides and the shins are washed in the laver, or when it comes to the temple, in the water that comes out of the bronze sea. And then it's all, you cut it all apart, and then you stack it up on this wood. You arrange it, the priests arrange it. So, and then you put the fire to it, and the smoke goes up, ascends. Through the firmament heavens, through the sea above, into God's throne room, all pictured at the tabernacle or the temple. This is what the Levites are helping in. This is their ministry. 
And there you are in God's presence. And he eats you in. He sucks you in. And he's soothed by the way you smell. Because you've been transformed. Your sin's been covered. And now, you, now you've been transformed. You smell good to him. And so he, he sucks you in. Like a man who gets home from work. And his wife smells good. And he gives her a big old kiss. A picture of eating her. That's what God does. God eats you into his life. There you are before him. And then when you get into his house, he's got a message for you. So you're called in, you confess your sins, and now you come in and he's got something to say to you. That's what the ascension is. You go up into his presence, so what? So God can talk to you. That's found in Hebrews chapter 10 where it says, where it says, and let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised his faithful confession is, uh, uh, is the word homologia, logos. It's one word. It's what we confess in the Christian faith, and we're being taught it by God. When we go into his presence, he teaches us that. Now, we've done that. So we have, we have a call to worship, which demands a sin offering. Then comes the ascension offering. And then finally, there's going to be a peace offering. But right here in the middle, there's something else. It's a tribute. It's a tribute offering. Because when you go to God's house, you don't go empty-handed. You take something with you. In this case, your Bibles are going to call it a grain offering. It's really what it says in the Hebrew is tribute. And it's semolina. And it comes in several forms. And so you get this grain and you mix it all up and you add a little incense and you add a little oil and then you stick your hand in you take some of the grain some of the oil and all the incense and you hand it over to the priest and the priest takes it over here and as you're going up he lays it on the ascension offering so it goes up to God with you and you bring this to God. Now in the church, what is that? It's our gifts. Whereby we've worked with God's blessing and he's blessed us and we return to him a memorial portion it's all his, but we only give him a memorial portion. That would be a 10% portion. And we bring it up to God, and he takes it from us. Now, this is, this is me talking now, so take it as a Craig thing, okay? In my estimation, the church should take an offering. We don't. We put a box on the back wall. In my estimation, we have separated we have separated our offering from the worship service. That's not what happened in Israel. And remember, the church is the temple. When you go up, you take something with you. It's not something to laugh at, sneer at, be embarrassed about. It's like when you go to somebody's house. You take a gift. When that's all done, then there's the communion where you sit down at the table with God, man and God at table or sat down. You don't stand, you don't kneel, because all's at rest, you're at peace. You sit at the table and God brings dinner out and the dinner is the body of Christ, and the blood of Christ. Now, when I say that, I am not making a comment about the elements on any theological level. I'm only using Jesus' words. And mind you, it's fair and proper for me to use them or for you to use them. I don't have to skirt around it. When I... Somebody says to you, what must I do to be saved? I say, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. I don't say, well, Paul says, I can say that. 
but this is my body, Jesus says. He took it up and he broke it and he said, this is my body, take, eat. And then he took a cup and he picked it up and he said, this is the covenant in my, this is my blood. Now, are we trying to make a Catholic, a Roman Catholic statement? No, we're not trying to make that kind of statement. We are making some kind of statement, but just laying all of the theology aside because people fight over it. It's a meal. And what are meals for? What are they for? They give life. That's why you eat for life. This table, you eat for life. Is there some kind of magic in the bread and the wine? Of course not. So we have, we have a call to worship. Jesus invites us to the house. This is what the Levites are assisting the priests in. We have a confession of sin. Our feet are dirty. We've been walking around the world and, uh, you know, we've been thinking wrong. We've been doing some things wrong. We've been doing some speaking wrong. And sometimes we're, you know, we're just irritable and it's wrong and we don't even know why it's that way. We confess it. And then we go up with our gift to Yahweh. And Yahweh says, okay, here's what you need to hear this Lord's Day. And then we come over to the table and it's, it's, it, it, it is blessed, wonderful. And here's the thing, friends. Here is the thing. You cannot have the Lord's Day without the table. It all is a package. You didn't go to the temple and say, I think I'll do this without doing the other. It's a package. Because what does God give? God gives forgiveness. God gives wisdom and knowledge. God gives food. And we're needy people and we need the food. And if you choose a church that doesn't have the food, well, remember? What happens when churches fall in spiritual decline? Well, first, the people aren't sure what God's word says. Second, they don't know what God's word says. And then third, they don't care what God's word says. That's where the church is today. We don't care. So I'll take a church that doesn't have the supper, the table. I don't care. I've got the best preacher in the world, but I don't have the food. See, all the treasures of wisdom are found in Christ. They come in a package. And we're called the temple because all of this stuff that took place at the temple is for us. Fulfilled in Christ. Our time is gone. I know I've gone over. And then finally, the last thing we do is we dismiss. And we dismiss with a co-mission we're going out on the mission of Christ this next week to serve him. And what is our mission? Solomon's mission was to build a temple. What is our mission? Go make the nation's disciples. You want me to put it another way? Our mission is to go build the temple. Let's stand together. Father, we thank you for your great word inspired from Genesis to Revelation for us to know. And uh, I confess, I should know a whole lot more than I do know. There's another book that can be read that's like this book. And Joshua was told... This shall be in your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. It's like eating food. You chew it down. You taste it. You enjoy it. You experience it. All this is in your word. Lord, do not let us fall into spiritual decline. 
Help us to be those who are sure of what your word says and where we're unsure, we search it out. Help us to be those who are given to your word, who study your word, who want your word, who live to know you. We thank you for your word and talking to us this morning. In Christ's name we pray, amen.